0: Are we missing one Wisconsin voice in the praise group this morning <laughs> it's is it a retired retired you feel up to joining him George faster want to introduce our pastor emeritus here Thank you. And if you would stand now as we turn to our opening hymn, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Purple Hymnals number one thirty eight. And many of you have asked about who that good looking gentleman that joins us periodically um, in praise group and he's a retired United Methodist minister from from the Wisconsin, Wisconsin area. And um, I you know Kind of my old nature would say, "Well, he, he's seen the light and he moved from Wisconsin to Minnesota." But he, he's um. <laughs> we have dual dual lights here, so Wisconsin and Minnesota, and George is going to be hosting the Eight Gateways group along with myself this coming Tuesday, and George, if you want to join Mike, Mike kind of always feels a little bashful singing by himself, um, and. In George's and George a musical background. Before he entered the ministry, he was uh, a very talented musician. He continues with that. And, um, and continue to remember him in your thoughts and prayers, and also his wife, Char. Marie, did you have a comment? Yes. Would anybody object to inaugurating George as our pastor emeritus? Any objections? He's our new pastor emeritus. He joins us in our Eight Ways Gateways groups, and I think at times one of the other churches would like to pull him aside, but he's established himself here. We need um, Pastor George Groves, the right right reverend. If you're joining us by way of television, our opening hymn is Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, Purple Hymnals, number 139, verses 1 through 3 and 5. (laughs) Thank you. You may be seated. Let's continue in our praise song. Thy word is a lamp. Purple hymn number 601, please. 601. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come this morning as we make our petitions and our intercessions to you, O Lord. We ask, O Lord, that we stand on on your word, your, your promises. We ask, Lord, a blessing upon our praise team as they are dismissed and return to their pews. We thank you for their messages of hope. And we pray for Gary and Kathy, who would be with us today, but they're experiencing some COVID situations. And Kathy, Gary tested negative, but their son Paul has some other ramifications with with asthma on that. We, we realize that they probably could be with us and would be with us, but they're just a little turned concerned. And we pray, Father, that you would remind us that it's it's time for the alarm bells to be sounded. It's it's time for all of us to play the part of Paul Revere. The communists seem. The t- communist tyrants and dictators are coming. The communist tyrants and dis- dictators are coming. They're coming first for uh, the unvaccinated Americans and we may feel that this is 1938 and and we can understand how the jews felt we now understand just a little of what it felt like to be a jew in 1938 no it's it's not the holocaust nothing can be compared to the the holocaust ever but 1938 was was not the holocaust it was the pre holocaust it, it was a time before the nightmare when the foundation was being Laid to destroy our freedoms, our free speech, our our businesses, and our lives of the millions of Jews. Everything happened today to the American people, to the U.S. Constitution, to freedom, and particularly to unvaccinated Americans reminded me of the 1938. This, This is not, this is only the beginning. It gets much worse from here. First, the papers. The papers, vaccine mandates and vaccine passports are just like 1938 when the Gestapo demanded papers from every German. Republicans asked for papers from migrants who had broken into our country, criminals, MS. And Democrats said, no, that's racism Republicans asked asked for papers once every two years for federal elections to prove that you have a right to vote, and Democrats said, no, no, that's racism. Now the Democrats want American citizens, not illegal aliens, not criminals, but patriots born in this country to provide papers twenty-four seven. We'll need papers to be enter. Restaurants and bars and nightclubs and concerts and casinos and conventions and hotels and board a train a plane or a bus We'll need papers to enter a supermarket or we'll starve to death and all for the crime of being unvaccinated against Wait for it the flu all for the crime of being unwilling to inject an untested untested rush to production experimental for emergency use only shot into our bodies and what happened to the war cry of the democrats my body my choice it only applies it seems like to murdering babies but it doesn't apply to dangerous experimental shots we don't want injected into our bodies weren't jews injected with experimental drugs by the depraved nazi government wasn't that a key part of the Nuremberg trials, that no government could ever again inject experimental shots into the bodies of unwilling citizens? Isn't that a basic human right? And by the way, this isn't about vaccines. If you, if you want the vaccine, take the vaccine. I'd never stop anyone from taking a vaccine. I've taken the vaccine. I'd never limit your freedom, your choice. That's about vaccine mandates forcibly injecting Americans who don't want it. That's, that's back to 1938. But there's much more in common with 1938. Mask mandates. If you're scared, wear them. I'm not scared. I don't want to wear them. I'll wear them around other people. Mandates are about forcing individuals to lose their freedom, their choice, their individuality, their human rights. That's That's 1938. Lockdowns are a match with the with the Warsaw Ghetto. Jews were locked there, down there. Jews couldn't work. Jews couldn't travel. Jewish businesses were labeled non-essentials. If government can force us to close our businesses, to kill our jobs, to decide who is non-essential, then this is 1938. Stars, stars, and clothing. It's coming. The vaccinated get get into restaurants, barns, concerts, supermarkets, planes and trains. They keep their jobs. The rest of us are marked maybe as subhuman for life. That's the star. That's 1938. Media and social media as a public relations wing of the government, that's called propaganda. Remind you of 1938. Back then, the Jewish books were banned. Today, it's those of conservatives. We even... Hear commentators from CNN the, saying that conservatives are like communists, but patriots and especially the unvaccinated, we are we are silenced. Our facts are labeled misleading. Only the facts that agree with big government's agenda seem to count. That's 1938. Door-to-door intimidation and making lists of those who disagree with government knows best. Trust me that the army of door-to-door vaccine brainwashers and soon will be soon turned into a German Gestapo of of gun grabbing, 1938, the years Nazis banned Jews from owning guns. They took them door-to-door. That's 1938. Only days ago, a former Department of Homeland Security official said that the unvaccinated should Beyond the federal no-fly list, And that's what exactly how the Nazis attracted attacked the Jews and others who disregard disagreed with their agenda. It was it was always lists lists of people to be disappeared in the middle of the night, lists of those to be sent to so-called re-education camps, lists of those to be sent to concentration camps, lists of enemies of the state. It's it's happening again. This. Maybe this is a time we'll only lose your jobs for free speech. That is, again, 1938. It's all disgusting and disgraceful, but I'm warning you, God, we are being reminded of the start, that it's all going downhill from here fast. This is the end of America. This is 1938. Unless we stop it now, unless we take a stand now, unless we draw a line in the sand now. First they came unvaccinated, and trust me, next they're coming for you and I. Father, we pray for those who are in Afghanistan, never seen a situation. We pray for the Afghan Christians still left behind that are losing hands and arms and legs and heads, that God will put angels of protection around their homes to protect them from certain death from the Taliban. We pray for hope. We pray for the families of Mike and Tina Labardy. We pray for Gary and Kathy Gross and their family. And we congratulate to Pastor Bruce and the Rush Russian there. I participated in Bruce's first wife's funeral a few years back and now I conducted their wedding. We pray God's blessings upon Pilgrim United Methodist Church and and their pastor and the new pastor's wife. And as we conduct ourselves in our service, Lord, as we stand on the promises of God, we remember, as we are in agreement, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're joining us by way of television, we want to call your attention to the fact that we're continuing on in the book of Luke. And I'll ask if Mike can station himself because he's going to be sharing. It's taken from Luke Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 18 through 22. Luke chapter 9 verses 18 through 22 this morning may God add blessings to our scripture Peter's declaration about Jesus once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him he asked them who who do the crowds who do the crowds say that I am and the crowds around Jesus answered some were saying that he is John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others that he's one of the ancient prophets that has arisen. And then Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Messiah of God. And Jesus sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone saying that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. God bless the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Good morning, brothers and sisters. I looked at our, at our scripture today and I noticed something. What Jesus said, a person's whole eternity rests on that. It rests on the question he asked in Luke 9, verse 18. Eternity's importance has nothing to do with who they are, where they live, or even what they own. The entire span of personal eternity is how they answer that question. There are many questions that have more than one answer, but that question only had one. The question Jesus asked was Who do the people say that I am? The disciples answered John the baptizer. Others say Elijah. And others say some of the old, one of the old prophets has risen. What was interesting about this is these were the same things that Herod had said to Jesus when they asked who he was. But Jesus wanted to cut this rumor stuff out of the society, and he boiled it down to only one single answer. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what really matters for all eternity. When Jesus said, looked at his disciples said, but who do you say I am? We should notice things in this seemingly simple question. The first thing, why he asked, first reason he asked it was to get rid of all the false rumors about him. He didn't ask who do all, all everybody say I am or what does everybody else say I am. He said, who do you say I am? Another interesting aspect of that question is, I am? It's a claim of divinity. I am, biblically, it's how, Moses, how God identified himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He, God instructed Moses to tell the Israelites that asked him, it was Yahweh, but Peter gave... The exact right answer to the question who do you say i am he said you are christ the son of god that is a single only answer to that question in verse 21 jesus tells them not to tell anybody about his identity i thought that was strange we're supposed to share the good news and share the word but he told them not to tell anybody about who he was i think the biggest reason for that was He didn't want interference in his plans. Things had to go exactly the way God wanted them to. The disciples, the Lord's family, and especially the general public, didn't and probably couldn't realize that the king had to suffer and die as a criminal to be installed as the king over everything, not just an earthly king. If if everybody else had known that he was a king, they might have stepped in and interrupted God's plan and tried to make him an earthly king. This was despite Jesus telling them he was a king several times. But even his disciples and earthly family didn't get it. They didn't comprehend exactly what he meant when he said, I am a king. They would certainly not have accepted this aspect of the Lord's mission if they knew it also involved suffering and torture and execution. Kings aren't tortured and executed like criminals. They are not. They're kings. They have palaces. They have servants. They go where they want, when they want. They don't die as criminals. They're not tortured. But Jesus was and did. In verse 22, he explained the scope of his earthly mission. In verse 22, he spoke of his suffering His death, and the last words of that verse are the most important. He specifically forecasts his own resurrection from death. As I stated, suffering death, suffering and death, were certainly not something that his disciples would want or expect. I suggest reading Isaiah 53. That was written a thousand years before Christ ever appeared. It nails it exactly what has to happen to the Savior. Again, that's Isaiah 53. I suggest you read that. It had to happen that way. Jesus had to do that. He had to tolerate the torture and the abuse. There was no other way or God would have done it. The Lord's suffering and execution were out of everyone's will and desire. They did serve one person, though. Certain, Satan. But that was the only way his suffering and execution were the only way he could complete his mission. There was no other way to have us humans be brought back to God's family as directly family as direct family members. Without Jesus being tortured and executed, we'd be lost. And we would not belong to God as family members. There was simply no other way for us humans to be brought back into the direct family of God without Jesus going through what he endured. There was simply no other way or God certainly would have done it. That is the only way it could have gone. That is the way it went. That doesn't make God a masochist. Heaven forbid. God did it out of his love for you and everybody else. He wanted to accomplish that. Go through those particular things because he had to to get you back to his family.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The scripture that's before us is uh, quite powerful and we ask that you um, notice in this passage the variety, the variety of opinions about our Lord Jesus Christ. Those opinions that prevailed during the... The time that he began his ministry is probably similar to what's prevailing today among the the cults. We're told that each and every year there's hundreds, hundreds of new cults that, that approach the religious realm of beliefs. When I served as a chaplain in the U.S. Air Force, I served some 47 different denominations. Primarily the denominations of Protestantism. But I also was called on in the area of the Catholic realm too. We're told that that some said that Jesus was John the Baptist. Some thought that he was Elias. And then some that one of the old prophets was risen again. But one common remark of supplies and applies to all these opinions. All were agreed that our Lord's doctrine, the doctrine of Jesus was not was not like that of, of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious teachers and the rulers of his day. All saw in Jesus Christ a, a very bold witness, a very bold witness about the evil that was in the world. Much as Jesus needs bold witnesses like you and I today, to have not a worldview, but to have a a Christian view. Let it never surprise us to find the same variety of opinions about Christ and his gospel in our own own times, God's truth. What does God's truth do? It disturbs. God's truth disturbs the spiritual laziness of everyone. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were so disturbed that they wanted to crucify him. It obliged them to think. A lot of times, Christians don't want to think. And if it is, it's stinking thinking. It's not biblically bra- embraced and a biblical view of society rather than a world view. It makes them begin to talk and, and it makes them begin to reason and and speculate and invent theories to account for its spread in some quarters and then its rejection in others. Thousands, thousands in every age of the church spend their lives in this way and, and never come to the point of of drawing near to God. They're kind of always caught between what the world view is and what the biblical view yes. is. They satisfy themselves with a miserable round of gossip. One of my mentors, Dr. Alex Ramis, who wrote the book on how he had to dig his own grave when he was just a young youth in the Philippines and when the general said, We shall return. The United States took so much time to return. And Dr. Ramis, Alex Ramis, writes in his book how he learned to subri- survive how he ended up to push push off his death, and and how he lived on mice and rats and and other rodents in order just to get by. They satisfied themselves with this miserable round of gossip. And Dr. Remus wrote a book on positive gossip. Positive gossip. Many people today they satisfy themselves with this miserable round of gossip about the preacher's sermons or the writers opinions. They think that this person goes too far and others will say this person does not go far enough. Sound doctrines they approve and others they do not approve of. Some teachers they call sound and other preachers and teachers they call unsound. They, they cannot quite make up their own minds what is true and what is right, what is right year rolls on after year and and they find themselves in the same state talking criticizing fault finding speculating but never never getting any further and it's almost like the the highway to hell is paved with good intentions never getting any further hovering like a moth a moth around Religion, but never settling down like the bee to feed on its treasures they they never boldly lay hold lay hold of christ they they never set themselves heartily to the great business of serving god and in spreading the good news of jesus christ they never take up their cross and become thorough and genuine christians and at last after all their talking they They die in their sins totally unprepared to meet God, to meet God. One of my Sundays that I was on vacation, I was asked to preach at a large thrashing bee in Rose City, Minnesota. I prepared a number of messages, and I just felt led to ask the congregation um, if they had a particular topic that they'd like to have me share on. And a gentleman who was the president of the the thrashing, Thrashing Bee Association stood up and he says, the scripture, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. And I went on to share on that scripture. Pretty self-evident. Be not deceived, you and I be not deceived, God is not mocked. Let us not be content with a religion of this kind. It will not save us to, to just talk and to speculate about, or banty around uh, opinions about the gospel. The Christianity that saves is is a Christianity personally, personally grasped, personally experienced, personally felt, and personally possessed. There is not the slightest, the slightest excuse for stopping short in talk or opinion or speculation The Jews of our Lord's time might have found out if they had been honest, really honest inquirers that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth was was neither John the Baptist nor Elias nor an old prophet, but he was the Christ of God. The Christ of God. The speculative Christian of our own day might easily satisfy themselves on every point which is needful, very needful to salvation if one would really candidly and humbly seek the teaching of the Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit. The words of our Lord are weighty and the words of our Lord are very solemn. In John, the 7th chapter, the 17th verse, he says, if anyone, if anyone will do God's will, they shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God honest practical obedience is one of the keys of the the gateway of knowledge and let us notice secondly secondly in this passage they the singular knowledge singular knowledge and and faith displayed by the apostle Peter you talk to a lot of people and and Peter gets a lot of criticism but look at the positive side of Peter we read that when our Lord said to his disciples whom say ye that I am whom say ye that I am and Peter answering said thou art the Christ of God can you say it with me thou art the Christ of God this was a noble a very noble confession and one of which in these days we can hardly realize the full value to estimate in a right we should place ourselves in the position of our Lord's disciples. We should call to mind that this great and wise and, and so called learned of their own nation saw no beauty saw no beauty in the Christ, the Messiah the Master and they would not receive Jesus as the Messiah the tremendous prejudice that they had. Don't ever let prejudice keep you from seeing the truth They saw nothing but but a poor man, a son of a carpenter, who often had no place in which to lay his head. And yet it was at this time and under these circumstances that Peter, that Peter boldly declares his belief that Jesus is the Christ, the very Christ of God. And truly this was great faith. This was great faith. It was... It was mingled it was a mingled faith no doubt with much of ignorance and imperfections but such as it was it was a faith that stood alone are you able to stand alone by way of television or radio or youtube or other means of communication standing alone at times is difficult he that had it peter was a remarkable man and in far in advance of the age in which he had lived. We should pay pay and pray frequently that God would raise up more Christians of the stamp of the apostle Peter, erring and unstable and ignorant of his own heart as he sometimes proved to be that, but that blessed apostle was in some respects one in 10,000. One in 10,000. He had faith. He had zeal. He had a love to Christ's cause when almost all of Israel was unbelieving and all of Israel was cold to his gospel and his good news. We want more people. We want more people of this sort. We want people who are not afraid to stand alone and to cleave to Christ when the many are against Jesus In such people, such people like Peter may err sadly at times, but but in the long run of life, they will do more good, more good than any knowledge. No doubt is, is, is an excellent thing, but knowledge without zeal and warmth will never do much for the world. And let us notice lastly... And thirdly, in this passage, our Lord's prediction. Our Lord's prediction of his own coming death. We read that Jesus said the Son of Man must suffer, must suffer many things and, and be rejected of the elders and be rejected of the chief priests and be rejected by the, the scribes and and then be slain and be, be raised the third day. Now these words, as we read them now, sound very simple. They sound very simple and plain, but... There lie beneath the surface of them two truths, two very basic truths of human nature, your nature and my nature, which ought to be carefully remembered. For one thing, our Lord's prediction prediction shows us that Jesus' death upon the cross was a voluntary act, a voluntary act of his own free will. Jesus was not delivered up to Pilate and crucified because he could not help it and had no power to crush his enemies. Jesus' death was a result of of the eternal counsels, the eternal counsels of the Trinity, the Blessed Trinity. Jesus had this understanding, and this understanding to suffer, suffer for your sins and suffer for my sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Jesus had engaged to bear our sins as our substitute and surety, and Jesus bore them willingly as his own persons, his own person on the tree. Jesus saw Calvary and the cross before him all the days of his ministry. Jesus went up to them willingly, very knowingly, and and with a full consent that he might pay our debts, pay our debts in his own blood precious is the blood we talked about that in Sunday school and Ira sang it and reminded us precious is the blood Jesus death was not the death of a mere weak son of man who could not escape but the death of the one who was very God a very God and had undertaken to be Punished in your stead in my stead For for another thing our lord's prediction shows us the the blind effect of prejudice the prejudice on one's mind clear and plain as jesus words now seem to us his disciples His disciples did under did not understand them Many today do not understand them They heard as though they heard not they They could not understand that the messiah was to be cut off was to be cut off they they could not receive the doctrine that their own master must need die and thence when jesus death really took place they were amazed and and they were confounded and often as jesus had told them of it they never realized it as a fact father this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, and those by way of television and radio and other means of communication, let us watch. Let us watch and pray against prejudice. Many a zealous person has been grievously misled by prejudice and and has pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let us beware of allowing traditions and old preconceived notions and unsound interpretations baseless theories in religion to, to find root in our hearts. There's only but one test of faith. There's only but one test of truth. What saith the scriptures? And before this, let every prejudice go down. What saith the scripture? Father, may we be mindful of the fact and the importance of what saith The scripture can we say these words together the Christ of God come into my heart and life O Lord be the Christ of God eliminate doubt misconceptions help me to see the truth the life and the way in Jesus name Amen as the ushers um, come forth This morning, Mike, would you be an usher this morning? Grab the offering plate in the back there. Let us turn to our offertory prayer, and would you pray this prayer together? God of all good gifts, you have provided all that we need for full lives, and yet we don't stop there. We continue to fill our lives with things in an elusive search for security. As we bring gifts to you this day, remind us that only deeper faith will bring peace and good works. Caring for others through generous giving will help us know the joy of full lives. We pray this in the name of Christ, who gave out love for all your children. Amen. As the ushers come, let us turn to our next hymn, Purple Hymnals, number 46, trust and obey. Would you please stand? God of power and God of might. Through the ages you have reminded us through prophets and apostles that we are called to a battle, not with one another, but against the powers of darkness and evil. It is this battle that sends children to bed with empty bellies while others have so much food it damages their health. It is a battle that imprisons those whose only crime is poverty while those with more than they could ever spend lose sleep, scheming how to get some. As we make our gifts to you this day, and as we go forth, may we remember on which side we're on. In the precious, loving name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If there's any announcements that need to be made, um, we may have a Trustee meeting. I think the um, Gary and Kathy are really out of um, quarantine. But they just wanted to be on the safe side. They were more concerned about their son Paul, who has asthma and you know some breathing problems and coping. We've been kind of keeping you posted on the all call too. Would you take us out, Mike?
1: Go forth and serve and praise the Lord. Thank you. Shalom to
2: you.